ready to cop some heat and uh, I understand that's that's what I've said but yeah like I said I'm, I'm here to, to win the FedEx Cup playoffs that's my number one goal and uh, whatever happens after that will come from me. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Bunker Podcast in association with Callaway. Michael McEwen here in the hot seat as ever. Thank you very much for tuning in. And he's back, ladies and gentlemen. As LL Kilji would say, don't call it a comeback, but it kind of is. He's been away for two weeks and he's now, I have to say, by the way, he's looking tanned. Bunker editor Bryce Ritchie back from his holidays. Hello. (laughs) Hello, how are we? Very well, very well. Obviously not as well or as rested or as bronzed as you, but clearly a good holiday. Yeah, good holiday. Thanks for inviting me back onto <laughs> our podcast. <laughs> you were missed. Thank you. I'll I'll decide whether later whether I'm gonna believe that or not. No, but I had had a good holiday. <laughs> Glad to hear it. It was it was France, wasn't it? South of France, darling. Yes. Lovely. It was very nice. Did you eat well? Did you drink well? Et I did. I I only had three beers. I had a few wines, trying to be reasonably healthy. Yeah. But your fun. holidays, you're allowed to make some exceptions. I know, exactly. But it was 37 and a half degrees and it was <laughs> toasty. <laughs> but it was great. Now, you are in the south of France, which mm-hmm. I'm sure you've seen this. If you haven't, it's on the Bunkered website. Have you heard about the protests taking place there just now against golf courses? Extinction Rebellion protesters? In France? Yeah. So apparently what they've been doing, and they've claimed responsibility for it, they have been pouring cement, concrete, whatever, into holes on greens on a lot of courses around Toulouse. I don't know how close you were to Toulouse, but they've been filling them in as part of a protest because of the water ban that's in place across France at the moment. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Seemingly two-thirds of the country struggling for water, but golf courses have been granted an exemption because, well, obviously you, you need to water them. Quite right. You know, if, if you don't water them, they die in yep. the same way that if I don't feed my goldfish, yeah. he too dies. Yeah. But seemingly Extinction Rebellion, very unhappy and have been going around filling in these holes. They're probably it. unaware that you can very easily cut a new hole. <laughs> <laughs> so it seems, plus, to make concrete, do you not need to use water? You need water. water. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, that's a good point. No, that's interesting. Extinction Rebellion, they seem like just complete goons, don't they? Not a fan. Yeah. Are they the people that glue themselves to roads? I think so, yeah. Idiots. They don't really make their point in the best way because presumably they need to get people on side. Yeah, so but disrupting like people's com- days. Yeah, acting like complete bangers is not a way to do that. Yeah, I'm going to stop you going to work so that I can make the point about climate change. Well, we already know about climate change. But yeah. yeah. It's funny, I drove up to the Highlands, moved away over the weekend, and driving just a little bit south of Aviemore towards the wilds of Scotland, there were road signs that somebody had graffitied with the words flat earth. And I thought, no, oh. mate, no. Get on a plane, you'll see you've the curvature a, of the earth. Got, it's got to be a wind-up. you think so, but up. there's so many of them out there. So many nutcases. Yeah. Which brings us neatly on to the latest on Live Golf. <laughs> <laughs> so you, I'm sure, will have an interesting perspective on this. And I'm absolutely gutted that your two weeks off corresponded with perhaps the two most significant weeks in Live's short lifespan to date because a lot of things have happened so give me your thoughts on just the past couple of weeks as an observer to the shenanigans yeah (laughs) you know what actually i'll be honest i don't know a huge detail because i deliberately i went off twitter i went off grid for about a week and i just kind of 
So this is quite quiet. And then I saw you doing stuff and I was like, what? They're in court. Mm -hmm. Well, this will be good. I saw the pictures and some of the stuff that came from it was a wee bit bonkers, all the stuff about the payment. And it just got quite messy. And I I remember thinking if you weren't fully entrenched in golf or you weren't, you know, on a golf website every day and writing stories every day and, and, and reading about it every single day, you would think, what the hell is going on? And that was my feeling is I was trying to keep up on in in some sense when I was lying by the pool. To great effect, I must add. I mean, I'm I'm stunned by the tan. Thank you. I do Honestly. take a tan. I was using tanning oil. <laughs> oil? See, yeah. I have I know we're going slightly off piece. We'll get here. back on we'll get back on a second. Oil in terms of the sun freaks me out because I think of oil, I think of cooking. Yeah, well, so you're effectively cooking yourself. Yeah, you're grilling they, they yourself. Didn't have any, you? They didn't have any butter, so I just used <laughs> oil. Excuse me, do you have any ghee around? <laughs> <laughs> That's clarified butter, to be fair. Oh, I see. Um, Sorry, back to live. So and yeah, uh, so to it. I used a fifteen uh, oil. <laughs> 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 no, I thought it was insane that they're in court. I do think it has gone. It's gone where I thought it. Would, what did we say mm. a month ago? This is going to go to the courts, mm. and it's not finished yet. It's going to get even uglier, I think. Far from finished. It's just getting started, it would seem. Because as far as I'm aware, it was three players that took the PGA Tour to court in a very short space of time in order to get their spot in the FedEx FedEx Cup. And the court said no. Correct. So effectively, what we had last week, the the first court hearing or the sitting of the, the court in Southern California was largely procedural in advance of, let's call it the big trial, which is going to be <laughs> the connotation. You come up with that yourself. The big trial, which what would OJ say to that? <laughs> he'd say, "Well, if the glove fits." Um, that's taking place. Presume we're led to believe it's taking place August, September next year is when that's going to happen. So a long, long time to go. A lot of procedural stuff last week, but you're right that the main cut and thrust of it was that. Taylor Gooch, Matt Jones and Hudson Swafford were seeking a temporary restraining order, a TRO, as they call it, against the the PGA Tour, which would allow them to play in the FedEx Cup playoffs. They said, we qualified, we've earned the right to be there, your ban should be rescinded to allow us to play. And you're quite right, the court said, no. Some incredible testimony on both sides. So I I watched it on Zoom because I'm just a total party animal. And it was, at times, incredibly boring. The law, legislation, procedure. Dull as hell. Who would want to be a lawyer? Oh, God. Then it was, at times, extremely funny. Why? The lawyer for Liv referring to Swafford, Jones, and Gooch as these three poor young men. Wait a second. <laughs> These guys aren't the victims here. We're a poor, we're poor young men. <laughs> they have made something like 60 million combined on the PGA Tour. They're doing fine. They would just like a bit more. Whatever happens, however this shakes down, they're going to be all right. And then there was another point when he referred to the FedEx Cup playoffs as the Super Bowl of golf. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever watched the Super Bowl, Bryce. The Live Lawyer said that. Yes, he referred to it as the Super Bowl. Of Correct. Golf. That's that a they're bit missing out. That he said that. Yes, but it makes sense in the in so much as he's trying to say, well, they're missing out on the biggest show in golf. Now, I've watched the Super Bowl every year for a number of years, 
I can't remember there being a halftime show in the FedEx St. Jude Championship. <laughs> if if that spot's the available, I'm golf. sure JLo would love to know yeah. more. So it was just, it was a bit obscene. It lasted about two and a half hours. And in the end, the judge came to the, the decision that the plaintiffs in the case hadn't demonstrated that they'd been unfairly treated by the PGA Tour. They broke the rules. Yeah, well, this is the thing. I was slightly surprised that the ruling was what it was because whilst it's a different jurisdiction and all that sort of stuff, Ian Poulter, Adrian Otegi, Justin Harding and Brandon Grace applied for something very similar against the DP World Tour that would enable them to play the Genesis Scottish Open at the end of June and they won that case or they won their restraining order. Yeah. So I thought, well, fine. As I say, different jurisdictions, different lawyers, different interpretations, different judges, but there was a precedent there. And it would be the easiest thing for the judge to say, right, fine, on you go and play it. There's a bigger fish to fry, which they're going to get to next year. So an interesting, interesting decision. First blood, I guess, to the PGA Tour and what's going to be a very lengthy legal battle. I would potentially still put all my eggs into the PGA Tour's basket. I think they are clearly going to lawyer up. I think the PGA Tour have made a mistake. I think they deep down, surely they know they've made a bit of a mistake in how they've dealt with this, but they're going to rectify that. Lev looks as though it's going to try and keep going, try and grow, try and get bigger, but it's not gaining much respect. And I have to say, I wasn't a huge fan of Greg Norman's comments, you know, about Rory. Yeah. I think I'm not... That, you know, that wasn't not especially a huge, great. Not a huge fan of that. And it's there's a bit of mudslinging going now. And I think when it becomes a big court case next year, what will happen in the courtroom is that a lot of stuff will come out in the wash, yeah, which will be even messier. Just on Norman and Rory, let's, let's look at that. Because Norman was responding to the comments Rory made after winning the Canadian Open back in June, which, if you remember, was the corresponding week that the first live event took place. Rory won that week in Canada. His after, after going head to head with JT, wasn't it? That's right. What I mean, that was incredible. That was brilliant. After winning, if you remember, Rory said, "My twenty-first PGA Tour win, one more than someone else. That gave me a bit of extra incentive today." Clearly, without naming him, that's Greg Norman. Unless he's talking about Dustin Johnson, who's also got twenty wins. I suspect Greg Norman. Then, in an interview with Aussie Golf Digest last week. Norman responded to that and said, I respect Rory, but I'm somewhat confused by his approach. But then he is paid to sit on the PGA Tour's Player Advisory Council, so he's obviously going to support the tour. I do know Rory has asked for sizable appearance fees to play in Saudi Arabia. His comments also show competition is a wonderful thing. I take it as a compliment that he wanted to beat my 20 PGA Tour wins. His next goal should be to win more than 91 tournaments globally or to maintain number one in the world for more than 331 weeks. Yeah, it's this that it's like they're trying to pick holes in everybody's arguments like you know looking for appearance fees in Saudi Arabia. So what? I have no issue with Rory doing that. Rory's just playing in a tournament somewhere around the world for a fee which will help that tournament and you know and do all the PR stuff like grow the game in that country and so on and so forth. Oh, that's did you fine. really say that? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but that's fine. What he's not doing is launching an entire new tour, which will hurt two major tours who have been there since the beginning. That's the difference. And I'd, and they're pulling all those players away from the two tours that exist already. I'm talking obviously about DP and PG, PG Tour. But is that a big deal though? I mean, that's, 
So what? Yeah, a third tour wants to show up and it's got tons of cash. If it had been a rival to the challenge tour, would but anyone then, care? But then, yeah, but then that's why the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour have clauses that you cannot do this and you cannot do that. You want to play in another tour, you better get a release. There's a difference between playing another tour and getting a release than playing in 18 events. Mm-hmm. That's different. They are rocking the boat big time. And it's the old case, we've talked about this a million times, but it's the old case of who owns golf. Who's in charge? Well, the PG Tour, the DP World Tour, Sunshine Tour, Asian Tour, they're all in it together. And there's two that happen to be the biggest. Somebody's come along and said, actually, we would rather do it this way. But they've made it worse because it's an invitation. And you're being paid to play on it. And there's no cut. And it's less golf. It's a shotgun start. And there's no sponsor. And it's just... It's a shotgun start mm-hmm. and it's got no TV. And it's the whole thing that's just, well, what is this? And the PG Tour said, well, we're not having any of that. Yeah, we No TV in, in the UK and in the States, we should add. I believe uh-huh. that there is a TV deal now in place in Mexico, for example, and I think a few other places. Yeah. So for, for Norman to come out and slate Rory for taking a you know appearance fees or an attempt to take appearance fee in the country that's funding this new tour, I just find that a bit, it's not a strong enough argument for mm. me. And I have to think that if Rory did ask for an appearance fee, which it's Greg Norman's word for that at this moment, Rory hasn't responded. If he did, Saudi Arabia could give him anything. He's still chosen not to take it. Mm-hmm. Whatever they've offered him, if they've offered him anything, mm-hmm. he still said no. Mm-hmm. It's not like they said, ah, well, there's a million dollars, that's all we can afford. And he's gone, nah, you're all right, I'm a three million dollar guy. Yeah, So I'm sure he is. He's turned it down, evidently. So that's the part of the, the conversation that Norman's omitting. I also think that just from appearances sake, I quite like what Norman's done up till now in a lot of ways because since the first event happened, he's been almost invisible. He's been there on the first tee. Yeah, okay, he's been handing out stuff on the first tee like beers and caps and so on. But he's just let the golf happen. He's not done press conferences, for example, at those three events so far. Been in the background. But then he does stuff like this, but he goes back into the foreground, which he made an arse of earlier this year, if you remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's just made an arse of it again. Yeah. By picking this petty fight with Rory. I love his honesty, Greg Norman, but you're now something more than just a representative for your own brand. Mm -hmm. You're now representing an entire new enterprise which wants to be seen as credible and treated credibly. If you're the CEO, you can't be doing that. Yeah, it's just got... It's really messy, and I, I struggle to see how it's going to become credible next year, because these events are just, I find them a bit odd. I think the credibility may well come from signing people like Cam Smith. I mean, there's the world number two, a pretty open secret now that he's going. He's certainly not denying it. He's saying in interviews that he's prepared to cop some heat. It's funny, in the beginning, remember right at the beginning, I said I was stunned that Bern Wiesberger left, because I thought... <laughs> Bern Wiesberger is a, probably, if you were to line up the the best, top 10 best continental Europe stars, Wiesberger would be there. And he's chosen to jump and, and he said, you know, actually, future's not on the DP, it's not on the PGA Tour, I'm going to go and live. And I thought, mm-hmm. that's kind of strange, he's looking at a Ryder Cup down the line, he's mm-hmm. one of the next, he, if he has some good form. He's probably going to be in the next two, three Ryder Cup teams. He's approaching the best years of his career. Yeah, he's about to peak. Great player. And he's gone. Cam Smith going is 
the mother of all wins for Liv. He's the champion golfer of the year. He represents everything that's great about the game of golf right here, right now, because he's the Open champion. That's a disaster for the RNA, and it's an even bigger disaster for the PGA Tour. Watched that PGA Tour stuff last night. Let's be honest, the field is it's it's good, but it's not it, it's not. <laughs> It's not the Super Bowl, man. <laughs> it's not. It, it's just not. It's not got, even the divisional playoffs. It's not get great names. And I'm no Woods has got nothing to do with this, but there's no Woods. Mm-hmm. There was no McElroy. There was no DeChambeau, no Patrick Reed, no DJ, no Mickelson. It was missing star power. It's just not got. It's not got. It, it was just missing something. Mm-hmm. The PG Tour looks like it's missing a number of players. And if this continues. Next year, they, they have, it's not the fact that Monaghan will be annoyed. It's the people funding that tour might just go, wait a minute. Yes. The I people funding my, and the people broadcasting. Yeah, I upped my, yes, broadcasting true. I upped my sponsorship. These events are now £9 million events. I'm paying three, four out of my pocket for this to sponsor it. Mm, I'm maybe not sure I'm getting the value for money that I was getting two years ago. Mm-hmm. Three years ago, take COVID out of the situation. Let's go back to 2018-19 when the PGA Tour was flying. Mm. I'm, it gets a bit dodgy. If you're making decisions financially and you're looking at the players that are coming in, Mullinax is no cutting the mustard. No, They want the Shambos and they want D- Dustin Johnson's. Yeah. And you can see that people are already on the defensive on the PGA Tour's behalf saying, but this is great. It's showing the next wave of great it's players. Not, people don't want that. They exactly. want the wants. best players right now. That, that's, why, that's why sponsors are not jumping all over DP World events exactly. in Morocco. It's it's ex- the reason why sponsors will dictate whether something is successful and whether an audience demands it. Well, just on that point, though, I mean, the TV stuff's really important as well because of course it is, the, yeah. the, they're signing deals for mega bucks. I mean, it's a bit like the, the Premier League football. I mean, it's TV money that helps to keep the lights on in a, in a very significant way. It's the same for the PGA Tour. They sell those rights for fortunes. Now, if I'm in charge of NBC or CBS or Fox or whoever, I'm sitting down, I'm looking at that first event, the first of the big three final events on the PGA Tour season, saying, where are all the big names? Or yeah. you, can, you can watch them for free on YouTube playing mm-hmm. something else. Going, but then the vo- wait a but then the volume of people watching on YouTube for live is not that great. It's not TV well, numbers. It's not it's nowhere near it. But equally, I think the the amount of people who watch golf is it a more Sky engaged Sports audience. Small. Yeah. yeah, it's a more engaged audience. They have them over a four hour period instead of a twelve hour period. Yeah. So you, they're invested. I'm, I'm slightly speculating, but you can inflate numbers over twelve hours. You can say we had an audience of. Yeah. But that's not all watching at the one time. If I yeah. put something on for 12 hours, I'm going to expect to get a lot of people watching at some point through. Yeah. So you can inflate those numbers any way you want. But you're right, it's an engaged audience, and it's not just YouTube. They've got them on the, the Live website and yeah. other places. The Zone, I believe, have started showing but, it. So people are watching, and they've got a lot of choice. So if that TV broadcaster is looking at the PGA Tour proposition, they've got less of the best players, and they're paying a premium for a product that is available in a more consumable or not, that's up to well, you to decide, but, 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 form somewhere else. Let's I go wouldn't into be that. paying that premium. Let's go into that. Possibly true. When you look at Liv's broadcast, people won't like this. I think it's excellent. The way they... And I hate shotgun starts. Oh, I yeah. hate exhibition golf, 54 holes, no cut. 
I think it's crap. I would tell them it to their face. I think it's a lot of bollocks. I think you just did. <laughs> it's a lot of bollocks. But the four-hour window, I think it's really good. Yeah. You get everything you want. Everything you want you quite quickly. The way they broadcast it, the way we go from live shot to live shot, the, the way they bring in people in the studio, I just think it's really well done. And I think if the PGA Tour were to take an, a leaf out of that book, that would be it. The, the whole, how many times have people complained about Sky and, although that's taken it from the PGA Tour, staring at a sky or a lake for two minutes with a leaderboard? That's just boring. And then long ad breaks, but yeah. they need to make their money back. They've binned all that, but that is golf. It's mm-hmm. just golf. Could be worse, could be cricket. <laughs> but to go back to Cam Smith, I can't believe that he is giving up the opportunity he's got right now because he's got an opportunity to go out and really make a name for himself mm. in the PGA. Like, big style. He's got it all sitting in front of him. He's a proper player. He can be that guy. He can be that guy. He could be world number one when the Masters comes around. He could go and win. Ma- the guy's built to win the Masters. He's got everything going for him. Yep. He's uh, he's the best putter in the world. He's just unreal. And he's not going to play in a 70... He doesn't want to play 72-hole stroke play anymore. But it's, it's how many times we said this. It's amazing when you throw down bucket loads of cash and you say, do you want this right here, right now? And you'll get to play a different form of the game, or you could take fifteen years to earn it. What do you want to do? Uh, I'll have the first one, please. Yeah, and th- the amount of guys that want to do that—it's unreal. It was quite interesting then to see Cam Smith getting dinged two shots on. Well, it was yesterday, but for an offence on Saturday. Did you see that? The, I saw that yeah. the, his drop was on the line. I admit, I don't know a huge amount about so it. He played his shot with his ball touching the red hazard line. According to the rules of golf, the, the penalty that he got, two-shot penalty, was the correct call. Uh, Smith, apparently, he didn't speak to the media afterwards, but seemingly were told by the rules officials who did speak to him. He accepted it and said, OK, fair enough. The issue is that by that point, the round was over. It was the next day, and they've gone, oh, wait a minute, you should actually have been penalised there. There's two shots. Given everything that's going on just now, the optics of the PGA Tour penalising one of its biggest stars, who will soon be its biggest rival's biggest star. Afterwards. Afterwards. We're talking hours and hours after the fact. Mm -hmm. Did the fact that he could have gone to world number one with a win influence that decision? Because suddenly Liv have got the world number one. We don't know, but the optics from the PGA Tour's point of view are honking. And they continually get things like this wrong. Yeah. It didn't, it didn't, materially change the outcome. Yes, the rules are the rules, fine, whatever, bullshit. But it didn't materially change anything. So what do they stand to gain from yeah, I think applying that, the rules? I, like that? I think they're I think they're rocking the boat and I think they're trying to show that actually we we've got a bit of muscle here. Like did they not remove DJ's plaque from the golf course the week before? Is that so? DJ had a shot, I don't know, it must have been some historic shot at the St. Jude. And they removed the plaque from the fairway. I think that's a bit of sleep. Trying to rewrite history, yeah. whatever history it was. It's not as if it was Ben Hogan's <laughs> shot. But that's that's what they're doing. Yeah. I Do you know how hard it is to find Lee Westwood on the PGA Tour's money list? It's not that easy. Oh, well, they've actually now got separate money lists for career earnings and career money and all-time money leaders because DJ is the third highest earner in PGA Tour history. But if you look at a, the wrong list, he's not there. The third yeah. highest earner is now Jim Furyk again. Yeah. I mean, they're trying to scrub... Some of these players uh-huh. from history. It's getting and messy. 
to me, that's this is petty stuff. If the PGA Tour feels that its argument from a legal standpoint is that robust and that secure, don't stoop to you such don't need petty to do business. That. Yeah. And the same on the other side. Clearly, what this tells me is that neither side is that confident. They think they've got a strong case, but it's not like they think it's a foregone conclusion they're going to win. Put it this way, if, if PGA Tour loses this, then Liv have all the cards because they can now just do exactly what they want. Yeah. And what they might do is that at the moment, they're not playing their events against too many corresponding weeks. But what they might do is start to throw the toys out the pram a wee yeah. bit and get a bit more aggressive and start holding events like maybe one opposite the players. Mm-hmm. Things yep. like that, which would just piss the PGA Tour off. And that's when I think when you go all the way further, but that would be three years down the mm-hmm. line. When you go all the way back, there's got to be a, a, a bit of um, consideration to how they originally handled this. Yeah. Which is just the not, PGA Tour got this well. wrong off the off the bat. Yeah. They didn't take the call. They didn't return the emails. They refused to have the meeting. For the life of me, to, to until my dying day, I will question why they did that. Mm-hmm. If for no other reason than just to, to know your enemy, to, to hear it out. Yeah, yeah. Hear what they have to say. They've created this mess, the PGA Tour, and frankly, I think Monaghan and Norman both need to go. There's a question mark over Pelly. If this is going to move on, well, look at the because DT we've now world got tours uh, world ranking status oh, it's falling which apart, which is a whole other it's mess falling apart. But we now have three individuals, certainly two, where there's a real deep seated toxicity that exists between them and animosity. They just don't like each other. So can they honestly say they're acting in the best interests of their tours? At some, I mean, these are these well, are wartime leaders. At some point, peace has got to break. Well, Monaghan's job is to fully protect the assets of his tour and the future of it and he's trying to do that he's just not done it very well he's also but, got a responsibility to his sponsors to his broadcasters yeah, and he has and he's spon- he, be, believe me he does not want to have any other tour in the game mm-hmm. the PG tour of at times been a little bit negative towards the DP tour yep. only eventually realised what was happening and it was probably in their interest to bring DP world on but they must have known what was happening in the background in order for them to do that but they haven't dealt with it mm-hmm. It's funny. I'm actually laughing. I'm just uh, when you when you mentioned the players' championship, who's the defending champion? Yeah, I know. Cam Smith. I know. PGA Tour now won't be able to use him if at their choice. By the way, for promotions, for promotions, yeah. they might well ban him. You could have the defending champion going to court for a TRO to play in the PGA Tour's flagship I, I, event. I know, and I, I'm pretty sure the P, the players' championship was doing paid adverts on Twitter during Open yes. Week. Yes, you're right. During open week. So they are that aggressive. They know that they want to hit a big golf audience at the right time for their benefit. So they're in big trouble next year. I mean, I really don't have any side in this whole business. I don't have any skin in the game. I'm not a member of either tour or any of the tours. I see good and bad on both sides. I see mistakes and successes on both sides. But the FedEx Cup... I mean, there was at one point at the weekend there that JJ Spawn was in line to go second on the rankings. JJ Spawn. <laughs> I mean, you talk about, not you, but people generally talk about live as just a manufactured nonsense way to give people millions of dollars. That's what the FedEx Cup is. <laughs> it is as contrived and as nonsensical a system we as there has ever been in golf. We slated the FedEx Cup when it started. We laughed at it. That's why they made something like three strategic changes mm-hmm. in the first five years of the FedEx Cup because even they knew 
this isn't working. Yeah. So don't tell me that Live Golf is in any way less credible in terms of how it's handing out the money uh-huh. than the FedEx Cup. The FedEx Cup's nonsense. It is. It's a silly... It's a contrived mechanism to create end-of-season drama. Uh-huh. And... I can't really think of that many times it's succeeded. Not very many times. And I, th- I still look at the, every time they have this, their FedEx Cup standing, the numbers on this, I just think, that doesn't really bother me. Yeah. It's not golf. Yeah. It doesn't, it just doesn't come down to it. And it's sadly money, 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 money. That's all they care about just now. And the PGA Tour is as guilty of that as anybody else. I mean, look, they're circulating this document they, they, last they, week. They, 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 before you go there, the, the, the PGA Tour shafted their own tour championship because of the FedEx Cup. Yeah. Tour championship used to be tremendous. Used to be a great event. It's not now. Now it's a limited field, 30 players, no cut. It's just stupid. A, a, a daft concept. And they have destroyed one of their own events in order to somehow give their players the chance to win 21 million or 18 million, whatever it is. It's daft. It's totally daft. There's the PGA Tour last week circulating a memo amongst its members estimating what they could earn based on a year-on-year growth projection. This is how obsessed about money they are. Predicting an annual increase of 4%, taking into account projected rises in FedEx Cup, blah, 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 blah. It reckons that players should be earning huge amounts. For example, right, Jim Furyk earned $71 million on the PGA Tour. If he was starting on the tour next season, so from September and had the same career, he, by the PGA Tour's own projections, would have made $620 million. That's where they see this going. Then you've got things like, they're planning on uh, increasing the, the PIP money, which is ridiculous just now as well. I mean, that's... I, I'm staggered that that still gets away with it. That's <laughs> money for nothing. Money for nothing. I don't know. <laughs> they are projecting, the PGA Tour is projecting that that so true. absolute nonsense of a system is going to rise to $100 million by 2040. I mean, where does it all stop? At what point are we going to start putting golf back as the focus again. Uh-huh. You're just flinging cash about. And it is but the reason they're flinging the game. But the reason, and I agree, but the reason they're flinging a the cash about is because that's what players want. That's why these guys, that's why the, the 48 have gone. Yeah, That's why they've done it. <laughs> I was talking to my dad last night and he was, he was again asking about, you know, what the hell's going on? <laughs> I was like, dad, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why you're asking me. Been off for two weeks. I know. But it's like, if you imagine Phil Mickelson's been given a hundred million. If you were to just let Phil Mickelson play golf for the next ten years, he's not going to make a hundred million. He would if you think right now, if you were to say, right, Phil Mickelson's going to play golf for the next ten years, how much money do you think he's going to make? Prize money. Go on, give me a give me a wild card get. I came up with a number. Phil Mickelson starting right now. Right now for the, for the next, next ten, 10 years, years. On the PG you, Tour. On the PG Tour, what do you think he's going to make? Oh God, I genuinely don't know because I don't know where the prize money is going. If it's like that, he could play. He could play shit and still get well. That's it. You, 30, you've, 40 million. You've got to say. Uh, do you think he's going to win? Like, no, do you I think he's going to win an event? No, no. I'm not. I reckon, it out, but I don't see it. At the, at the way it is at the moment, not with their crazy projections. I think Phil Mickelson could maybe for the next ten years might make fifteen million, maybe twenty. Someone said, "Here's a hundred million." A hundred million. 
can you believe that that's actually happened in golf? Mm-hmm. I know. Think about it. This guy's not going to win anything. But there's a hundred million just for showing up. There's a hundred million just to be part of the show. Yep. And here's another hundred for Bryson, <laughs> whose career is on the wane. It's not. He's not playing that great. Yeah, I would dis- he's choosing. I don't know. He's choosing to go down. And well, he's not had a great year. I know he's, he's had, been injured. A year. Rory didn't have a couple of good years. Look at him now, flying. Well, I'll put it this way: What do you think Bryson DeChambeau is going to do next year? Because this is my point. These guys are now going to walk into a different type of golf. They're playing different yep. golf. They have more media commitments now through Live than they do on the PGA Tour. More appearances they need to put up. More I appearances. Imagine Lee Westwood's doing podcasts with Golf Saudi for a laugh. So. Yeah. So there's all these things happening, and I think that affects the way they play. Yep. And apparently, Bryson DeChambeau's going down the YouTube route. That's what he wants to do. Good luck to him. But I think when they get back into full weeks, 72 holes, cuts, all that stuff, I think that gets a very different mm. mindset to how they approach the game. And it's just like the money's come in, they've yeah. gone, yeah, I'll take that money. There's, there's an argument the PGA Tour and the players on the tour should just let them play because... Right. They're not a threat. You're not a threat. You don't play 72 not. hole. I play it every week. I guarantee Rory McIlroy's not turning around his shoulder and going, where's Brooks Kepka? He's not doing that. Patrick Reed played in Asia last week. Total non-factor. Uh-huh. Total non-factor. Because uh-huh. they're not getting, they're not playing the type of golf they should be playing yeah. in. Yeah. yeah. No, Reps, I, as I Tiger agree. would say. And that is just weird. Well, look, before we move into the break, because we've got something really cool coming after the break, which I think you're going to love. Let's finish on a bit of a more traditional, positive note. Ewan Ferguson, a two-time winner now on the DP World Tour. Summer rookie season, the Glasgow man is having. He won the ISPS Handa World Invitational at Galgorm Castle. A good event, a clever event. The equal prize money for men's and women's events, taking the two events taking place side by side. Big ups to Modest Scott. Do people say big ups still? That just came out. I think that's the first time I've ever said that. I think it's the first time a boomer said it. Right, okay, props. Well done. Thumbs up, etc. to Modest Golf for having the the foresight, if you like, to, to make that happen. Ewan came through, three-shot win from his good pal, fellow Scott Connor Syme. I mean, yes, it's great anyway for Ewan to, to win and get into that habit. We know how difficult it is to do. Extra significance this year because of the PGA Tour card carrot that's been dangled at the end of the season. Top 10 players, as you may or may not remember, are going to, that aren't already qualified, by the way, that's the important part, on the race to Dubai are going to get PGA Tour cards for next year. Ewan has now jumped to 17th on the race to Dubai standings with that win. He's jumped to world number 168 as well from outside the 200. He is now currently within, just within, the top 10 places for one of those cards. That's going to be huge for him. Terrible for the DP World Tour, I hasten to add, that, that, but great for Ewan. That's what I'm going to say. And, and how many times have we said that if you're playing in an event that doesn't have the world ranking status or this immense field or the stature, mm-hmm. you've got to turn up. Mm-hmm. And he has proven that he's amongst the top at that level. He's one of the best. Mm-hmm. So you got you got to tip your captain and say, well done. Yep. Because he's when we, when we found out about this whole card business to be due to your, you've got to grab that opportunity Big time. and you, and he is good he is doing that he's still got work to do mm-hmm. but listen he's put, he's in the form of his life yeah it's i didn't necessarily i'll be honest i didn't necessarily think he could do this yeah and 
I mean that with no disrespect to Ewan. Hopefully he doesn't. Hopefully he takes us the right way. But he didn't dominate amateur golf. He didn't. No, win, he didn't. If, if I'm right in saying, I don't think he won many, if any, major men's seventy-two hole events. So it's a big leap to go from that. And yes, I know he won British Boys and all that sort of stuff and played Walker Cup. Walker Cup. I mean, I know. I've, and, and, and the way the the way it is now, amateur golf sounds terrible, but it's not what it was. And it I, I'll not. argue anyone to the face that it, it's just not what it was. So you've got to come out on tour. Yeah. And you've got to be. You've got to be counted. How many times have you said this? Even if you're playing, playing challenge tour, you're going into an event where there's 130, 140 other people who are exactly like you. Exactly, yeah. And you need to go out and beat them. So I'm quite happy to say he's proven me wrong. And Absolutely. I'm delighted that he's proven me Absolutely. wrong. Good on him. Because he's given himself a great opportunity. Yeah. And there's so many Scottish players that didn't play PG Tour and had the opportunity. And I've always said they've made the wrong decision. Always said that. You need to go and play amongst the best. You only find out how good you are when you play against the best. Yeah. And if you go out there and get thumped for the first three weeks and your head goes down and you turn back to Europe with your tail between your legs, more fool you. Keep going. Yeah. Because he's proven he's better than everyone else over here at the moment. When he plays his best golf, he's extremely hard to beat. Then if he takes that opportunity, he goes to the States. Go and see what it's like. 100%. And I think he will. He's, got, he's full of confidence. Yep. You know, he's, he's... He's got smart people around him as well. Yeah. And he'll, he's in that stable where he's got Tyrrell Hatton he can turn to for advice. He'll make good decisions. Exactly. So I think if he can t- take that opportunity, if he gets it. Yeah. But that's and you're he's right. not, he's not done to, yet. Work to be done. But, but that goes to really show, good position. Goes to show how hard it is. He's won twice, form of his life, and he's only just got the opportunity. Yeah. That's how hard it is. Absolutely. Good on him. Well done, Ewan. More to come, including a very special interview in part two of this week's Bunkered podcast in association with Callaway. Do not go anywhere. To create an iron that performs like nothing else, you need to build it like no one else has. So we constructed the new Rogue ST irons with a high strength 450 AI face cup, doubled its tungsten weighting for optimal launch, and added even more urethane microspheres for exceptional feel and sound. Every aspect of Rogue ST has been precision tuned to create our longest iron ever. The new Rogue ST irons from Callaway, the kings of distance. Welcome back, part two of this week's Bunkered Podcast in association with Callaway Golf, Michael and Bryce here. Big thank you to Sean Zach for filling in last week. Sean from golf.com, becoming a bit of a regular on the pod, and filled in for, for Bryce. Uh-huh. We're going to come on to that shortly. Uh, Bryce, since you're back, I've not had a chance to say this yet, but congrats on the latest issue of the mag. That cover is phenomenal. And if, if you're listening to the podcast, and maybe this is the first time you've discovered Bunkered or you found us through the website. We do have a magazine as well. We had a magazine first. Since 1995, we've had a magazine. Yeah, come buy it and keep <laughs> us in a job. Well, our latest issue is on sale now, issue 195. I think it's awesome. I think the cover is the best one we've ever done. And look, if you're interested in getting your hands on a copy of it, you can find us for sale on all the usual good stockists in Scotland, and you can take out a subscription we have international subscriptions available as well. Bunkered.co.uk forward slash sub offer. Great value for money and you might even get a wee incentive for taking out a sub as well. So check that out. Also on our YouTube channel, a new video dropped last week. Our gear editor, James Tate, has reviewed the new tailor-made high-toe three wedges, which look very, very good indeed. 
That video is available to watch on our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash bunkered. So do go and check that out, please. Right, Bryce, <laughs> got a DM from a reader last week. and Who's was... complained now? <laughs> <laughs> what is it? It's always a complaint. Except... What typo is it this time? Oh, Jesus. Oh. Got heat for that typo. Always. Oh, always. Come on, mate. Just dry your eyes. <sighs> Mistakes happen. Go easy on us. But no, this is a complaint not about us. Someone got in touch, slid into my DMs. So listen to this and see where we go. The reason I'm bringing this up, I think this guy needs your advice. I have had his permission to read it out, but he did ask for his name and golf club to be withheld. So I won't go there. But he's looking for a bit of help. And you, Mr. Ritchie, are the man to assist. So... A friend and I took up golf post-lockdown. Something happened recently I'd like your advice on. Playing our home course, we reached the first of the par threes. My friend had the honour and promptly took a freshie. Without resetting, he quickly took another swipe at it. This time, made contact, straight out the middle of the club face. The ball flew straight at the green, bounced just short of the flag and rolled in. <laughs> we were both stunned, immediately started celebrating and high-fiving. But this is where it gets awkward. My friend said, I can't believe it, hole in one, hole in one, oh my god, etc. I didn't have the heart to tell him that actually it was a hole in two. I don't know if he'd forgotten about his fresh air swipe because of the adrenaline of the moment or if he thought that it didn't count, but the rules are the rules. Anyway, that was a few weeks ago and he's still banging on about it, about the hole in one he had actually didn't have. That night, for example, he updated Facebook and I saw his wife in the local supermarket a week or so ago. It was the first thing she brought up. I don't want to be that guy, but this is in no way, shape or form a hole in one. Trouble is, so much time has passed, I don't know if I should bring it up or just You're not that go. guy. What do you recommend? That is tough. That is very tough. But I believe in full transparency. And to be honest, it should have been done in the heat of the moment. Yeah. However... It's a tough thing to do, though, isn't it? Oh, do God. have experience. So readers of our printed product will maybe remember about six, 15, 16 years ago, we had a hole-in-one competition. Yes. We should have talked about this. Yeah. And it was obviously insured. We thought about bringing it back. We might well bring it back next year if enough people want to do it. Mm -hmm. You can... Some crappy thing we do in the magazine. <laughs> You pick a point like selling it well. I know, but you like guess where the the ball is. We Photoshop yeah. the ball out of a picture, and you just spot the on ball on a grid. Pick where the ball is. <laughs> spot the ball. That's what it's called. Ten names come out of a hat, and you get to go to a golf course, and you have the opportunity to shoot for a hole in one. I think yeah. if we do decide to do it next year, we might do more than ten people. We might bring a hundred people. Yeah, I'm now thinking this is quite a good idea. It's insured, and I don't think it was a million. I think was it not two hundred and fifty grand. Or maybe it was a million. Don't know. No idea. And you get one opportunity. So we got these 10 readers up to Murray's Hall and... Oh, all... the 18th there's a par three, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, a little yeah. introduction. They all put the ball down. You get a swipe. And if it goes in, you get 250 grand. Nice. Brilliant. It might have been a million. Can't remember. Because the chances of you <laughs> getting a hole in one with one shot are extremely rare millions to one without even playing golf mm -hmm. you, you're allowed to turn up on your own time and, and practice but i think we deliberately made it like half nine in the morning right so they're turning up cold turning up cold and tough luck but yeah. you're getting the chance 
And I think it was like the third guy on he took a swipe and freshied. No. And he very quickly just reset himself. And I looked at the guy who was in charge at the time, our director, and he looked at me and I remember thinking, that's his shot. Yeah. You own the rules state by insurance purposes, you only get one go. He took it a swipe. Doesn't matter that he missed. Doesn't matter that he missed. Mm. That's it. And then he hit his ball and his ball was airborne. <laughs> I almost immediately I, I thought, oh my God, if this ball hits I remember thinking if this ball hits the green, I'm gonna have to say, by the way, if this goes in, it doesn't count. Mm-hmm. But his ball was nowhere near it. Sailed, it was like way left, they like duck hooked him, like a big, big high hook. So I thought that's fine. But after it, I remember saying, by the way, we need to remind people mm-hmm. if it's a freshie, you're off the tee. Mm-hmm. No, no second chances. That's, that's your it. shot. You only get one shot. But the point of the story was that I didn't say anything. But I didn't have to say anything because this guy here who's written in this letter has, he doesn't need to tell me to stop. But he should have said when it went in, when the guy's in a hole in one, hole in one, he should have said, well, no, it wasn't. It was just, it's a two. Yeah. It's actually, it's a cracking birdie. It's a great birdie. <laughs> it's a cracking birdie. It's the best birdie you'll ever have in his life. But it's not an ace. It's not an ace. It's like a three off the tee hole in one is not a hole in one. Yeah. And I would not celebrate that's, it as a hole in that's one. That's true. It is not a hole in one because a hole in one is a hole in one. It's not a hole in three. I'll be honest. I read that and the first thing I thought was, it's too late now, mate. Because obviously it's, it doesn't appear like he's not said if it was for a a medal or something like that. Yeah, if it you're was, all, then you're you need also to call for Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You're if also was stealing his thunder a wee bit. If he's telling the wife, exactly. and the wife's telling people in the supermarket, you're going to look like a bad guy going round behind the scenes saying, "By the way, it wasn't actually a whole." Exactly. Well, well I, I do should, think there is a way around this. Yeah, I, what, I think there is a solution. Email an editor at a golf magazine <laughs> for it. Even better than that, he's not said if his mate stood around. Yeah, you know. Bired round of drinks afterwards. Yeah, yeah. So my advice, take it or leave it, is if you are in any doubt that your mate is aware that you know this isn't actually hole in one, but he's claiming it, take him into the club. Make sure it's busy after your next round, and get mm-hmm. him talking about it. And then when enough people make sure there's people within earshot, and then drop it in. Oh, but wait a minute, you didn't buy your round. Yeah. So then one of two things is going to happen. He's either going to pay for the round. And he'll be out of pocket, at which point you just say, right, fair enough, that's it, we're all square, yeah. we're done. It's or a, he'll face up. It's a bit strange that someone would think they would get a hole-in-one after a freshie. Or they've been playing a couple of years. So I mean, Probably doesn't realise. Doesn't that understand. Yeah, he doesn't get it. Yeah. Anyway, right now we've got something very special. Last week I was fortunate enough to be invited to Archerfield Links, a truly incredible facility if you haven't been there, in East Lothian, right next to the Renaissance in Muirfield. Archerfield, Oliver Morton, the director of golf there, invited me along because he was hosting Rudy Duran for the entire week. If that name rings a bell, that's because Rudy was Tiger Woods' first ever coach. Okay, just to be clear, this guy had the entire future of a sport (laughs) in the palm of his hands. And if he ballsed it up, none of us would be here. So if he bossed it up, we would have Phil Mickelson on 16, 15, <laughs> 17 majors. Oh, what I thought that is. Drinking his coffee, wearing his aviators. Anyway, this isn't about Phil. This is about Rudy. Excited to say that we have a very special interview coming up for you right now. 
Rudy, welcome to the Bunker Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So what a facility this is. You are in Scotland for most of this week. You're you're taking junior coaching camps. Is that right? You're you're teaching our kids how to get the most yes, out of their games. Yes, Oliver and I are teaching uh, some co- uh, juniors here at uh, Archerfield. Yeah, it's really nice. I believe there's three children that have been here mm-hmm. with you and yes. you're, you're teaching them what sort of stuff. Is it absolute beginners that you're dealing with? No, they're not absolute beginners, but um, they're not you know, tried and true touring professionals or elite amateur players, but uh, they all three of them love golf. They have great spirit and we're trying to guide them a little bit so they can learn to play golf better, do things that are under their control that help them improve. And you've got good weather for it as well. I mean, oh. We're in the middle of a heat wave here. You know, you're you're from Arizona, California as well. You've yes. Got, you've got residences in both places. It's better here right now, though, isn't it's, it? You can't get better than here. <laughs> it's perfect. I was thinking, maybe I want to live here. You should. It's, it's, it, it's a very nice place to stay. It, very nice. And like you said, this uh, learning facility is spectacular. It really is, isn't it? And I mean, you've, you've worked in a lot of different facilities. Mm-hmm. You've seen the, the best that money can buy. Places like these are so important for the oh, development yeah. of not just juniors, but anybody who wants to get better. You need the right environment to learn. Yeah, and there's a good environment here. The coaches are great and all their amenities here. They have everything. Yeah, they certainly do. So tell me a bit more about your own background then, Rudy, because I've left a bit out that we're going to come to, which is quite a significant part of your story or a significant person that's formed a significant part of your story. But let's go back to the start. Tell me how you got into the game and how it ultimately became your profession, your career. Mm -hmm. Well, I got into the game because my father, um, my mother and father were divorced, and uh, my father would come visit my brother and I on on Sundays generally, and often he would take us to the driving range. Now, I preferred to go to the pool hall, but... (laughs) Ended up uh, enjoying golf, and then that's how I got started in golf. I was in the Air Force um, and got out of the Air Force in 1971, and I played some golf on the Air Force base team, but I wasn't thinking about really any career. Mm-hmm. I was just um, in the Air Force. And once I got out, went back home, then I started to think I needed some kind of a career. And um, a person that owned a golf course named Al Wagner in uh, part in California who I used to work at his driving range when I was in high school. He had a golf course now, and so he asked me if I'd come up there and work at his golf course. So I started working at his golf course and started his junior program, and and that's how I got started. So it's been a it's been a, a number of years. I mean, I'm I'm not going to embarrass anyone here, but closing in on half a century working mm-hmm. in the game. I mean, yeah. When you think back to fifty one years, fifty one years. Is it? I mean, my goodness. Does it feel like 51 years? No. <laughs> it feels like wasn't that long ago I got started. Yeah. Yeah. I'll bet. Yeah. I'll bet. So as I said, there is a, a very important person that has been significant in your career, and that mm-hmm. is, of course, Tiger Woods. Mm-hmm. You were Tiger's first coach, if you mm-hmm. ignore his dad, who was yeah. by that point, you know, getting him to appear on the Mike Douglas show and so on. But you coached Tiger from the ages of four through to ten. Yes. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Correct. I've got to ask, how did that come about? How, how did you get your hands on this incredible young talent? Well, the, the Tita and Earl Willards were looking for um, a coach to help Tiger. And uh, they reached out to a friend of theirs who was um, a golf pro, but a retired golf pro. He was working, um, uh, I think he owned a pool hall, actually. And uh, so they, he advised 
Earl to come see me because I'd had a junior program and, and we had a lot of success with the, my junior program. And so um, this person asked, told Tiger, you know, like maybe go see me. Fantastic. And what was Earl like for those first conversations? Earl? Oh, when I saw Earl, for, yeah, Crow was very lighthearted, easy to laugh, uh, easy to be around, as was Cheetah. Yeah, that's funny yeah. because people don't have that, I guess, perception of them. They saw Earl as quite a, a stern, austere figure, if you like, in the background. But mm -hmm. uh, I guess, you know, you, yeah, you've seen the different side of him. Yeah, I don't know if he, I don't remember too much of that with him. He mm. was very lighthearted, easygoing. He laughed easy. Mm. And uh, we always had a good time. We, he loved playing golf and he was double retired. And so when I first started uh, seeing Tiger, actually Tita brought him to me. Right, okay. And uh, so I was working in the pro shop and they brought him in and Tiger could barely see over the counter. <laughs> and Tita asked uh, me if I would help him with his game. And I said, well, let's go down to the driving range because I didn't have any other four-year-olds that mm -hmm. were in the junior program, like more like nine or 10 would be a young junior. Yeah. Um, so we went down the driving range and I teed up, teed up um, three balls in a row for him and Tiger got out his little cut down two and a half wood they really did a nice job getting the club to fit him yep. and he hit these he went pow 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 he hit these three perfect tee shots in a row and i said whoa he said i would love to help you with your game and you can play here anytime you want <laughs> i mean like you say you you'd seen a lot of young players by that mm -hmm, point mm -hmm. had you ever seen anybody who was capable of doing what he did that day no it's hard it's almost hard to believe how good he was that young Mm -hmm. And uh, after he hit those shots, we went over to the chipping green, and I dropped a few balls for him to chip onto the green, and and he took out his cut down wedge that they made for him, and he pitched the ball up on the green like been doing this for a hundred years, and he just was really good, and he was a really good putter. He couldn't hit the ball very far, so mm -hmm. his scores weren't all that good, but mm -hmm. you know he was playing really really well. Great instinct for playing golf. So was that the thing that set him apart, the instincts, or was there something else that was particularly impressive about him? What, what, what was he doing so well, so young? Well, he was able to hit the shot he was capable of the first time more often than almost anybody, or maybe probably more than anybody. Mm -hmm. So even though his skills were um, new, his golf skills were, you know, they were not refined. He wasn't old enough to get them refined, but he was able to hit the shot he was capable of. So if he could hit a pitch shot, he would hit it the way he wanted to most every time. Now, it didn't necessarily always go by the hole. Maybe he misjudged the distance or the ground, how it was going to curve, but he was able to hit the shot he's capable of a high percent of the time, which is what we need to be as an adult player. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of players can hit great shots. Well, can you do it 90 out of... A 90, mm -hmm. 80 out of 90, 70 out of 90, 60 out of 90, 50 out of 90. So how many times can you hit the shot you're capable of the first time? Then how many times can you hit what you're capable of that shot the first time in a major tournament? And when you're nervous, you know, and so the skill of being able to do what you're capable of in all environments is what I believe Tiger's real gift is. So the swing, it's kind of like a car. A car doesn't drive itself. You have to, even if you have a $20 million race car, you have to be able to drive. And so if you have a $20 million race car and you can't drive, you're just going to drive it into the wall and you're going to crash. Yeah. So Tiger had a good golf swing, but he used it really well. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of the distinction from the technical part to the actual part of the mental, emotional, and 
feel things that he could do to use the swing he had to produce a good score. Mm-hmm. It's a whole separate kind of a skill. Is there such a thing as being born talented? I don't know about that, but Tiger was really fast at learning mm-hmm. golf. He always wanted to know more, but he was always present. Mm-hmm. So this, you know, but he was good at a lot of things. He was really good at video games and... <laughs> You know, he was able. He was he was able to do what he's capable of, at least in the golf and the video games, which mm-hmm. is what we, I spent most time um, with, with him. We were playing golf or talking golf, or we were doing video games. Uh-huh. And what what he, video games were you playing? Oh, uh, uh, there was. Um, I'm spacing them out. Uh, like Paperboy, I suppose. Yeah, it was one of those early, ones. early on, and uh, Super Mario and mm. things like that. And then there was some sport games, golf yep. golf games that he would did. There was early golf games that he played. Was he as competitive about video games as he was when it came to golf? Well, he, he loved to beat me playing video <laughs> games. Yeah. He, he liked to beat you. And, and yeah. if he, when he beat you, he reminded you of it. <laughs> Even at that young age? Yeah, I, I beat you today. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite a, a unique relationship to have, though, I guess, because mm-hmm. let's face it, you, I can't imagine you play video games with all the kids that you teach. No. So... What, what was the reason for that? Why was... Well, it just was if I was at there, went by to pick him up or drop him back off mm-hmm. after we would go play golf. Uh, early on, um, you know, I'd often take him to the golf course or mm-hmm. uh, go over to their house and visit. And, and sometimes we just played video games, didn't do golf. They did have a driving mm-hmm. range and driving mat in their garage. Yeah. Yeah, so Earl loved to play golf. Uh, I can imagine. Yeah. But it, it, was, it was funny, lighthearted, easygoing. They... Uh, the family, to, to, as I recall, was not trying to make a touring pro. Really? Because that's totally contrary to uh, what the, everyone thinks. Well, yeah. Well, they didn't. They didn't know. They saw Tiger on some of those early TV shows, mm-hmm. and he was an amazing talent. But if if Earl was, I mean, if Tiger was seven, came home, talked to Tita and Earl, and say, "Mom, Dad, uh, you know, I want to start playing basketball," they would have said, "That's fine." Really? Why? Yeah. Okay. Because that's what he, he wanted to do. The mm. most important thing was for him to do his homework and get good grades. That uh-huh. was that was like number one. And if you're done with those and you have time, then you can do your other activities, like mm-hmm. golf or, or video games. So did you get a sense that Tiger still had a childhood in amongst oh, yeah. the golf Absol- element? Absolutely, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah. So he had a hobby of golf, and, and most kids don't have that. Mm-hmm. In, in those days... Even where Earl played most of his golf at the Navy base, they didn't allow kids until they were 10. So if you're a four-year-old, you had six years to wait before you're legitimately allowed on the golf course. There was a nine holes that we could take Tiger out to, but many of the municipal courses in the Long Beach area had 10 and over age requirement to play golf. So getting on the golf course was not easy for 10-year-olds in those days. Yeah, and we'll come to that in a second because that's one of my great bugbears and frustrations about the game even today even in scotland the home of golf the challenges that we face but on tiger the the work that you did with him in those six years then what would you say were the the key things that you instilled in him i don't think that i spent any time messing him up (laughs) (laughs) i I think he was i I got to spend time with him and we practiced and i tried to find things that would help him Mm. but mostly i just didn't mess him up yeah i didn't make it wasn't my agenda to, I was, I try to help people. I call my coaching and mostly a lot because Tiger was already good. Mm-hmm. 
I call it guided self-discovery. It's a good way of putting it. So he, I would advise, you know, you might hit a seven iron here because if you um, chip it short distance and it rolls, it's easier than if you hit it in the air the whole way. Mm -hmm. But if you feel like you want to hit it in the air, then you can. But I would give him options of things to do, and then he could decide if he was going to implement them or not. Yeah. But, you know, he wasn't the normal kid, but still – even with kids that were not as good as he was, it was still the same coaching process. Mm-hmm. I didn't try to form them in a mold that I wanted. Mm-hmm. I just tried to f- help them find what was good for them. So was it with private one-on-one with Tiger or did you do like, times, group coaching? They were most, mostly private, mm-hmm. just played, played golf. Yep. Um, and with other juniors, we, we had a junior program on Saturday and I would play along with many of them. Mm-hmm. But I usually played with Tiger. And uh, junior lessons were still based on fun, you know, and they would, for example, kids would sometimes like, let's say we're going to hit that chip shot. And they would hit and they would miss and hit and they would miss and hit and they would miss. And they'd hit it on the fourth shot. And they'd go, told you I could do it. <laughs> okay, so I wasn't talking to them about the four or five they missed. I was talking, oh, that good one you hit. What did you do to do that? So yeah. I make, make them self-aware of what they do when they play well. And, of course, Tiger was all over that. He had no problem with that. But still, that became, because of Tiger, that modified how I thought of coaching. Mm-hmm. So as they'd hit good shots, how do I help them hit that good shot more often? So it isn't my technique that I give them. It's like, how do they use it? Yeah. How do they use the technique they have? Or how can I change it a little bit so they can control it better? Then when you, you stopped working with Tiger when he was, as I say, 10 years old. So what, what was the reason for that? Was it? I, w- I got the, uh, I moved to a place called San Luis Obispo. I okay. commuted back and forth a little bit for a while, but I moved, had the opportunity to, to uh, get the lease on a golf course and, you know, as a career, career choice. And I still mm-hmm. went down and played golf with them, but um, they went, he went to another coach there and a guy named, really nice man named John Anselmo, a good coach, mm-hmm. and started working with him. And I still came and tried to play golf as much as I could, but I was, not thinking of coaching Tiger as a for a living. Yeah. I loved seeing him and being with him and Earl and Tita, but I was making a living. So mm-hmm. I made a choice to to get in the golf business, owner operator. Yeah. And um yeah, so that's why I moved like four hour drive away. Yeah, and I guess the rest is history for, for you both. I mean you've gone on to have an incredible career and well, we know what Tiger's done as well. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, you would have followed his career after that, you know, through the U.S. Junior wins, the U.S. Am wins, and mm-hmm. then turning mm-hmm. pro. Yep. At what point did you think that young kid that I saw, he is going to change the game? Did you ever have that thought? And if so, when? I never really had the thought that he was going to change the game. He was just a really, I mean, he was, of course, amazing at playing golf. Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, I can't. I never thought I could see the future. Mm. I just go, he is really good now. He beats everyone in his age group a high percent of the time, maybe 70% of the time. He won like, I don't know, 50, 60, 70% yeah. of the ter- tournaments that he entered, like at Which is six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11. But he wasn't invincible. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, like the first U.S. amateur that he played, I went to him where he was went and followed him doing qualifying. He didn't qualify for the U.S. Amateur the first time, mm-hmm. but he was like so much better than everyone else, especially at his age. And I, I didn't know where that would go, but I yeah. just knew that he was really good. Yeah. 
And so he's proven to be... Well, better than good. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, yeah. when he turned pro, we all know about the, the famous Hello World press conference, but it was really the, the Masters in 97 when mm-hmm. I think he transcended the sport for the mm-hmm. first time. He was already well on the way mm-hmm. because of his background and because of the, the, the barriers he was breaking down just by becoming a PGA Tour member. But mm-hmm. that win, you know, where he won, the circumstances in which he won, everything about it, it was just this perfect storm of a new dawn for golf. Mm-hmm. Where were you when Tiger won the 97 Masters? Do you recall watching it? Did you watch it? I was there. You were at Augusta? Yeah. Fantastic. So what yeah. was it like? Give me a sense it was of like, how it was. Uh, it was, uh, well, I was sitting in the clubhouse in the first round. Were you there as a guest of Tiger, sorry? Or just uh, you happened to be there? No, I, I went to, no, I wasn't a guest of Tiger, but I, I went on my own. Okay. And I yeah. had a, uh, you know, a, a good credential. So I was able to be in the clubhouse. I was in the clubhouse having uh, lunch with a friend of mine and the Tiger was playing the front nine and inside they have a scoreboard, you know, like the yeah. National Big scoreboard. Well, mm. they have a small one in the in the snack bar there. And um, some over. front nine, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. So then we're in there eating and then I think Leal Westwood, of course, he was very young at the time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, another... Uh, Sam Torrance, I believe, was with mm-hmm. him. And they were sitting at a table not far, and they look at the, the thing, so, so Tiger shoots 40 on the front. And then uh, go, that's not looking too good. And so we're sitting there and watching, and then we went out and started watching, and then he, I don't remember what he shoot, 32 on the back? Yep. Yeah, 32 <laughs> on the back. Whoa, that was that was pretty amazing. So, yeah, I didn't know he was going to win, and then watched him rest of the week, and then that was cool. What was the feeling like when you saw him win? I mean, I, I, I imagine you have to take some oh, level of pride. Oh, it was so amazing! Yeah, I remember when they walked out of the tent? And I'm waving Earl, and he goes, and he goes, "Rudy, you did it!" <laughs> what was, feeling? Yeah, it was great. Yeah. So, it was good. you know, Tiger's career has taken him, you know, to incredible places, and it's taken them to a whole new mm-hmm. sphere, I guess. Have you been able to maintain any kind of contact with him? Do you still? Um, when was the last time you spoke to him, for example? I can't remember. I know for sure I saw him. I got an award from the PGA Tour for contributions to junior golf, and Tiger was my presenter. And so he came up and he told some stories of things that we did back at Hartwell, and and I got an award there. That could have been the last time. There might have yeah. been something after that. There I mean, there might have been uh, something else after that, but I don't remember what it was. Yeah. There was another event that we both were at, and I said hello to him. We talked for a few minutes. Oh, yeah. I went down to the TPC course and watched him play a little bit. All right, okay. Yeah, yep. and so we play. He played in a practice round. I walked with him like the last three holes, mm-hmm. and uh, and we went and we had lunch. And I think that's that might be the last time. Yeah, we all know about the the struggles that he's faced, and the more particularly the obstacles that he's overcome mm-hmm. in the last few years. Are you surprised that he's still going, or is the the drive and the determination and the desire? that must have been there in four-year-old mm-hmm. Tiger. Do you mm-hmm. think it's still within him now at 47 and that's what's keeping him going? I think so, yeah. It's just his love for competition. I've heard him say many times that he just loves competition. And it, and this is his sport, so he loves playing golf and yeah. competing. That's what he loves to do. and it's, It drives him and keeps him interested. Mm-hmm. You know, he has other interests, but this is the main, this is the thing that he loves to do. I know I love to play golf. I still play golf oftentimes at home four or five days a week. I get up in the morning, get out early, 
and uh, try to get nine holes in before I do coaching. I just love to play golf. And so I can see that he, I'm sure he loves to play golf more than I do. So, <laughs> you know, if I'm injured or something, I'm looking forward to getting better and, yeah. and play more golf. And I assume that he would be doing the same thing. I liked what you said earlier about, you know, one of your philosophies is about making it fun and about not disrupting the, the talent or, you know, yeah. taking them in the wrong directions. Yeah, so I, like, I want to be able to guide them yeah. to be, you know, how they can be. So like the, their self-discovery. So they, they would go home and they would think that they, that they actually figured it out themselves. Mm -hmm. So I just help them figure it out themselves. So they own their good shots. Yeah, because you see so many parents, you can walk up and down any driving range. I, I would wager pretty much anywhere in the world and you will see a parent, more often than not a dad, standing behind this young kid and it's all do this, do that, get into that position, hit it this way. No, you didn't do it properly. And I just think, well, for one, that surely can't be a very enjoyable parent-child experience. And two, that is absolutely no way to encourage that child to want to play golf i mean people get it so wrong don't they I, I i've seen a lot of i thought there's just very often too much input directive um coaching or telling now i have seen some successes in that environment but i just don't think that it's all that good i don't it takes the fun factor out of it and and if their enjoyment goes out then they might not want to play exactly right fun is what it's all about at least yeah fun you should yeah. be having a good time yeah yeah and if you're lucky enough to play a sport for a living that's should be mostly fun exactly and the thing is golf is so hard anyway i mean i still remember the first time i got a ball airborne and the the excitement that you feel the mm -hmm. adrenaline when you hit you the good feel, shots yeah you're like oh wow okay I, I want to do that again yeah but the process of getting to that point, it wasn't fun. It was really, really hard. Yeah. So the, the idea that somebody, an adult who should know better, would make it harder for me by probably instilling too much technique, mm -hmm. I guess is the point I'm getting at. Yeah. That, that just, to me, feels completely alien. Because every other sport, I, I know there's rights and wrongs in you know, football or, oh, or whatever, yeah. but the whole premise of it is you should be enjoying this. You should be, yeah, I agree. You should be enjoying it. And mm -hmm. if they're enjoying it, you have to enjoy the process as well. It makes it easier. So if you only enjoy the good shots you hit, that makes it very difficult to enjoy in a complete round of golf mm -hmm. or something else. So you have to be able to embrace the entire day of good and bad and average and lucky and unlucky shots. It's just part of the, the sport. Mm -hmm. You do things to try to positively influence the outcome, and it doesn't always work out. So Tiger didn't win every tournament he entered. He didn't hit every shot he wanted. Perfect. None of them do. They all miss to some degree. In golf, there's a lot of missed shots. Mm -hmm. And I think if we embrace that, then, you know, and it took me a long time to start embracing that. So I can go home after a bad round of golf and I'm fine. Yeah. And I try to get that to where my students, when they have a bad round of golf, they go home and they're fine. They're it's just a bad round. It it's, just happened yeah. to be, your, no, it wasn't your best. So I go out and do, be aware of what I did well and be aware of what I didn't do well and be the expert on what you do well, which mm -hmm. kids tend to be. Yeah. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. I have a friend of mine and uh, we were going to go play golf and I went to his house and he had to pick him up and his son was doing skateboarding. And so he had this little skate, makeshift skateboard ramp that he built himself and he, in 
before we went to go play golf, he, he wanted to show his dad this new trick. And so I said, Dad, Dad, I can do this trick. And he gets on his skateboard, and he goes down the ramp, and he goes off the, the end of it, and he crashes. And then he goes, and he crashes. He crashed nine times. And the tenth time, he stuck the finish. And he goes, told you I could do it. <laughs> so he remembered the one sh- good thing that he did, and he yeah. deleted all the nine. Resilience, that's yeah. what that is, isn't and it? And then ju- sometimes coaching, not saying all the time, and then sometimes you know input from family and friends can be very negative biased. Mm-hmm. But you missed, you missed, you missed, you missed. But but I also was good. Yeah, but you missed all those times. So you need to be aware of your good. Your what your bad was. I need to do this, not that. And then you you stay in the positive. Exactly. And I believe the tiger is a super genius at doing that. He may not be happy, but on his next shot, he's one hundred percent shown up, shows up, and hits it to the best of his ability. He's mm-hmm. not bringing the bad shots with him. Mm-hmm. Yep. Some of the people that I see that. You know, regular players, they often talk about the things they're doing wrong. I did this wrong. I, I lifted my head. I did this wrong. I Whatever. And then how does that helpful? You can't end it on that negative. And Tiger and Earl were really good at embracing the positive. Yeah. And, and Tita, too. Yeah, exactly. And I think I've got a four-year-old daughter that I'm sure people in the podcast are now sick of hearing me make this reference. <laughs> but, you know, she. it's funny because I noticed that she and her friends, they all have fearlessness mm-hmm. because nothing bad's ever happened to you you're four years old you've never had a bad experience really in your life that you can remember so you will try anything and you will give it 100 percent because there's nothing to be scared of right but if you coach the fearlessness out of kids by giving them too many other things to think about that's just a recipe for disaster in my opinion yeah i don't know how that can help them so help them do what they do well more often you know, Precisely. They read one sentence in a book. Well, okay, just like you did that one sentence. doesn't mean they mumbled all the rest of them. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. They did this one good. They can do that more often. So, yeah. So that's what I. That's what we try to do. Excellent. Well, look, it's been so great to see you here in Scotland, here at Archerfield Links. As I said, what an incredible facility. So thank you for your time. Pleasure to speak to you. And yeah, hopefully we'll speak to you again soon. Thank you. big thanks to Rudy Duran what an absolute gentleman and a privilege to meet him Bryce I mean it's funny I've I've now spoken to I'm going to say all four of Tiger's coaches because the Chris Como era was it never really got going spoken to Butch spoken to Hank Haney I've spoken to Sean Foley and now spoken to Rudy and it's, it's something that you're acutely aware of at the time this guy had a very raw very young Tiger Woods who was clearly brilliant but imagine he bulged it up. Yeah, yeah. And Claude, by the way. And Claude, yeah. Claude, sorry, good point. Claude, Claude actually. Claude Harmon. Not a lot of people know, but Claude did actually a lot of the coaching with Tiger. Butch I was said in Butch, that was kind of the, the Harmon dynasty. Family. Yeah, yeah, the dynasty. Harm, Harm, Butch was in the background, but Claude did the dirty work. But just imagine Rudy had yeah, yeah. put him on the wrong path. Amazing. What I thought that is. Anyway, huge thanks to Ollie Morton and the team at Archerfield for fixing that up. Do go and check it out and have a look at the, the website, the Performance Centre. Have you been to the... I was there when it opened under the previous brands, guys. Correct. And it was amazing then. They I have know 3D improved it cameras as, around one of the bays. Yeah, yeah. And if you're a golf geek and you want to make those, let's be, let's be honest, those marginal gains, it is absolutely the place to go because Ollie and the team are going to unlock it for you without yeah, a shadow. Brilliant. Right then, Bryce, <clears throat> as I said at the top, welcome back, Podder of Merit, Sean Zach filled in for you last week. Now, Sean was 
a great guest, as he always is. He's a great lad. Everton fan, much like yourself. And he tried to do you a favour by the player he picked for you for the FedEx St. Jude Championship. Now, just a reminder, Bryce was 6-1 down last week. And I think you were possibly hoping that Sean, with particularly his PGA Tour insight, might be able to <laughs> narrow the gap somewhat. <laughs> so... It was my honour. I picked the man on form, Tony Finau, who finished in a tie for fifth at TPC Southwind. Sean picked <clears throat> Brandon Wu, who's had some form. Sean was adamant that the fact that he was going into the event with a bit of momentum and guys like Finau had taken the week off, that Brandon Wu was a better bet. Yeah. Missed the cut. Yeah. So I'm afraid to tell you, Bryce, that as it stands... In season four, it is Bryce one, Michael seven. And remember, you won the first point. Yeah. I feel like Jack Ross. <laughs> it's not great. Dundee United boss, yeah. yeah it's not this great. is this is shades of United AZ Alkmaar, doesn't uh, it? It's um It actually does to the very number. I think Sean's performance last week stank of arrogance. <laughs> <laughs> And frankly, golf.com should be looking at themselves. I'm not happy. I listened to him. Uh, Did actually, you like his rationale at least? No. For a start, I had to Google Brandon Wu. Okay. I thought, wait, look Bad at all, start. I was like, look at all the other names. So I originally thought that he'd picked Fina and I thought, okay, there we go. Until you pointed out saying, no, he's not picked him. So I thought, well, actually, I'm now going to go and listen. So I listened. <laughs> And then I realised And uh, I was disappointed So He's not coming back on the <laughs> podcast again I know he's your pal But he's not mine Evidently So that is 7-1 I mean what are you going to do? Yeah it's not good Listen The fight back starts this week <laughs> I hope It's going to have to start somewhere And for the I mean this is becoming President's Cup we, yeah. we created a Ryder Cup. No, the problem is the it's different. The president, nobody cares about the President's Cup. People care about this. That's true. That's true. There's credibility in this. And it's all stacked on my shoulders right now. So Do you want, do you want the honour this week? I mean, I'm prepared to see no, the honour. No, never change the rules. Don't, don't change want the rules to suit the occasion. We're okay. not doing that. That's fine. Because the thing is, you've got to bounce back. What would Jack Ross do? And what did he do at the weekend? Got pumped by hearts. Get pumped by hearts. So... He didn't bounce back. I've got to bounce back. BMW Championship is the event this week. The second of the three FedEx Cup playoff events. Wilmington Country Club. Now, I've got a wee bit of local knowledge because I've played there. What? I've played this golf course in Delaware. You've Never mind that. You've been to Delaware. Wayne's World Style. Yeah. We're going to Delaware. I have been. What's Delaware like? Was Delaware the home of? There's not a big company that's... Gore-Tex. Gore-Tex. So I was there with Galvin Green about a decade or so ago. Flew into Philadelphia, which is awesome. But didn't see much of that. So Delaware went around the Gore-Tex factory. Saw how they actually do make your clothes waterproof. It's quite it's quite cool. And then we played Wilmington Country Club. It's a really good course. <laughs> it's really, really well, good. Well, I hope it is. So I'm going to try and use a little bit of my local knowledge this week. Who do I think it's going to suit? 
I mean, from my extensive experience of, you know, flushing it and great ball striking around the place. <laughs> what parts of the golf course did you see that Cam Smith did? <laughs> Apart from 180 yards off the tee to the left in the shit. <laughs> you will never have seen the view of the green from the middle of the fairway. I did. You saw it from behind trees. No, no that's not true. I did. One four. Once I... For me, it's a, a ball strikers golf course, second shot golf course, and a man who we were wondering what was happening with him just a couple of months ago. In fact, not even just a few weeks ago with his miscut at St Andrews in his open defence, going for Colin Morikawa. Yeah, he came into a bit of a game yesterday. He's showing showing some signs, finishing the tie for fifth, all four rounds in the 60s at Southwind. It's turning a corner, so he's my man this week. I've got to go with somebody that's been consistent for weeks. It's playing great golf. I'm going with Tony Finau. Okay, that's fine. Finishing a tie for fifth as well, as we said. Continuing his streak. What is that now? 13 rounds? Something like that. 13 consecutive rounds in the 60s. Brilliant. So, yeah, when's the heater going to stop? This week, hopefully. (laughs) This week, if your luck isn't going to change, that is. So, yeah, okay. Tony Finau versus Colin Morikawa. We'll finish up as we always do with Honesty Box. And this was inspired, Bryce, by a, a post I saw on social media over the weekend, which made me laugh and it made me think. The top 10 golf douchebag moves. The power rank- you see that? Is it a power ranking? Well, you're thinking of Club Pro Guy? Yeah, yeah. So he did one and somebody else, I think it is just at Golf Douchebag, has created a <laughs> list oh. of the, the 10 greatest uh, douchebag moves. So th- there's probably some overlap here. Before we get to those... In case anyone's wondering, what's a douchebag? Someone who's excessively arrogant with no particular right to be. Is that what we're saying a douchebag is? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. So we all have seen people like that on the golf course. We've seen them do things that are like, why are you doing that, mate? So for you, Bryce, top douchebag move, what is it? It's not a move as such. It's an appearance. Go on. It's that whole turning up. No, no, I can't see that. I think it's probably, I would feel sorry for someone if they found, if someone who's listening who does this, and I've called them a douchebag because of it, I would feel sorry for them, but I'm not going to take it back. Okay. But if you turn up to play golf with a towel hanging off your belt, you're a douchebag. That is a huge douchebag move. Just put it on your bag. I've seen that. Yeah. We had a guy turn up at a, a reader day years ago with, with a towel off his belt and it's just it's just awful. It's a bad look. And I'm all for you've got to look cool. You've got to mm. look good. You're going to the golf course feeling good about yourself, but you don't need a cleaning towel hanging off your belt. Who ever thought they looked good with a towel hanging off? I know it's not. And the guy used it all the time. Every time he hit a shot, he was wiping his hands on it and his club on it all Did the time. Did that make his trousers, man? I know, and I think, what's the point of that? Just, I mean, well, wait a minute. Walk you're, five yards. But you're going to do that anyway. You're putting the club ah, back in the bag. I know. So if this is a time-saving exercise, then... It's really weird. But that is... That's a douchebag move. Okay. The one that I don't like is... Someone pipes a drive. I actually think this might be on the, the top ten list can't remember, but when someone pipes a drive and you see it and it's just perfect, out of the screws, nutted it, it's flying through the air, 
They're picking up their tee peg before the ball reaches its apex, as the bro media in the States would say. And you say to them, oh, that, that's an awesome shot. And they look at their club face and they go, yeah, it's just, mm, didn't really catch it quite right. Like, you didn't catch it quite right. <laughs> in so much as what, you were a millimetre away from the sweet spot. Yeah, nobody catches it quite right. Mate. Exactly. You've just you've just piped one. Oh, uh, just just take just take the compliment. take the glory, take the glory. But it's that whole thing of but I could have hit it better. No, you can't. Yeah, I know. No, or that other comment in the background. You not want that one back? Ah, uh, that I mean, yeah. they could do a whole other section on lame golf scenes. In fact, maybe that's 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 next week's honesty box lined yeah, up. Yeah. But let's look at the top ten here. One club twirling after bombing a drive. Another one. I mean. Not a drive. I don't mind Fairway, that. Yes, yes. I'm all for that. I'll club twirl till the sun goes down. <laughs> How often do you club twirl? <laughs> Takes a long time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, two, walking in a putt. I'm not bothered about that. If someone, it can be quite funny. Yeah, not the way Kevin Nah does it because it's, the joke's old now, but yeah. the way Tiger did it with Abraham yeah, answers in the President's Cup brilliant. is brilliant. Using a rangefinder on a par four tee box. Yes, that's flexing. Yeah, to find a bunker in the... Di- well, mm-hmm. yeah. I've always thought when you're looking at distances that far away, how good are you? Yes. Like if that's 225 yards away, really? Uh-huh. Are you that good to know that you're going to hit your shot 225 yards? So you want to hit it 10 yards left of that? If it's a drivable par four, chances are it's driver no matter what. Yeah. Just hit the ball. Being unsatisfied with an approach shot that's three feet from the pin? Yep. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Saying you pushed or pulled your drive even though it's in the fairway, yes, that's kind of similar to mine. Uh, saying, yeah, saying hit that off the toe after a huge drive, yes. That's that's yeah. that's horrible. Number seven, wearing long white pants when playing in the heat as if you're on the tour. I used to be partial to a pair of white trousers. And the reason was is that Ian Poulter's brand was the only <laughs> brand that did 36-inch leg trousers. Well, they were unfinished, so I had to take them to a tailor on Great Western Road and get my, my trousers. Uh, you say my, my trousers aren't great? <laughs> Take well, that personally. That's, that's not, that's, well, that's not fair. Is, um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I used to be partial to a pair of white trousers. But not anymore? Not anymore, no. I, I, don't, I don't think you can get away with it. I think... Yeah, I'm not. You've got to be a certain person. You've got to be a certain person. It's got two things about white trousers. You've got to have the weather. Mm -hmm. You've got to have underground conditions. Mm -hmm. You've got to have the right fit. Mm -hmm. You cannot have a belly or you look like a twat. (laughs) And you've got to have the right shoes. And it invariably means you'll probably have to wear a white belt, which, as we know, is. Yeah, but you can wear a white belt with white trousers, but there's a lot that can you? has. Yeah. Oh, wait, 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 wait. No, wait, no, wait, no, wait, no that's you can wear a black belt with white trousers. But this is my point. You just shouldn't be wearing a white belt full stop. So no, you shouldn't uh, be wearing white trousers. Only with white trousers. But the point oh! is, there's five or six <laughs> things that have to go right in order to wear white trousers. And most people don't meet those things. Okay. So if you're Good Justin save. Thomas, you can wear white trousers all you want. But if there's any mention, like if you're a, put it this way, if you take a measurement and you're between a 32 and a 34 waist, but you then move that measurement two inches upwards. Northwards, yeah. And you're now a 38 inch waist, you cannot wear white <laughs> trousers. Maths is taking a bit of a beating today. Yeah, you cannot wear. 34 plus 2 is 38. <laughs> I don't know. Wow. You can't take, you cannot wear white trousers. Can't do it. There are, there are no circumstances under which. Any grown man should be wearing a white belt on a golf course. It's, it's a hate crime. Anyway, eight, 
asking someone what their handicap is within three minutes of meeting them. Yeah, unless you're playing a competition. Yeah. Other than that, no douchebag move. Complaining that your approach shots are getting too much backspin. Oh, yes. That's a massive douchebag move. Oh, it move. spun back too much. Oh, really? Mm. Nightmare. And saying, this is a birdie hole frequently, number 10. Oh, yes. When was the last time you, you frequently birdied something? Yeah. Although I do think 11 and 12 at Balfour are birdie holes. When did you last birdie them back to back? Never. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and that, Bryce, is why is you that? are... A, a golf douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, great to have you back. I jest, I jest. But it's great to have you back. Thank you very much for your time. We will be back next week with... Well, something. Something. We'll figure it out between now and then. But huge thank you to you for listening and to Callaway for their continued support. We'll see you next Monday or Tuesday. Until then, bye-bye for now.